Our Father in heaven, we are so grateful that we can come before you again as your people. Thank you for the rain by which you water the earth and care for all of our needs. We thank you for your goodness that you just shower upon the wicked and the righteous, and we just see your, your grace in in so many ways. Thank you for your word that gives us light and truth to, and guides us as we seek to follow you and in what you've given us to do in this life, and we pray that you would use your word this morning to continually equip us and, and train us to to think rightly and, and to have right desires and affections for, for you and for the work that you've called us to do. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, welcome to your, our class, our first class of the new year on the doctrine of work. Uh, as a recap, if you've forgotten or if you haven't been with us, uh, we spent the, the first 10 weeks of the class mainly following through um, Tim Keller's book, Every Good Endeavor. We came to a completion of that at the end in our last class in December, so thinking through basically the, the biblical storyline, with starting with creation and God's design for work, the dignity of work, and then thinking about how the curse and sin and death is just interwoven in all that we are as humans, including our work. And so work becomes fruitless, pointless, selfish, idolatrous. And yet, in the midst of all that, the gospel reshapes our worldview. It gives us new purpose. It helps us to understand how even those crosses, the thorns and the thistles, can actually be redemptive. And God does good things in our lives through those crosses, the thorns and thistles that come you know, rise up out of the soil in our daily work, and then how we have a new power for work, and that we're not seeking to gain our fulfillment, our identity, our name. We're not. We don't have to make a name for ourselves in our work because we've actually already received that identity as children of the living God. That's what we where we've been these last five weeks. Um, we're transitioning now. I didn't bring it with me. I meant to grab it, but it didn't make it out the door. But I've shown you the book before. It's um, called The Gospel at Work. It's by Greg Gilbert and Sebastian Traeger. They're Greg Gilbert. They've both been affiliated with Nine Marks and Mark Devers Ministry. Greg Gilbert is a pastor. Sebastian Traeger is actually now in ministry with the International Mission Board, but he previously has worked in business in a variety of ways. So they kind of brought both their perspectives with ministry and business to uh, to their work that they wrote together. They cover a lot of the same ground that we went over already a little more briefly though. And then they they seek to they have some several chapters which is what we're going to focus on now where they just try to address head on various poignant issues that we all face at different times in our life. So choosing a job, um, that's what we're going to talk about today. Next week, balancing work, family and ministry. The following week, relationships at work, and particularly the, the challenges that come within relationships, sharing the gospel at work, and then the last week will be success and value. So today we're going to focus in on this question of choosing a job. What does the Bible have to say about this topic of choosing a job? So we're going to try to, uh, try to unpack what is a biblical perspective on this issue, and we're going to see that that should help us to prioritize the various issues involved in choosing a new job. You know, maybe just by a show of hands, how many of you have had to choose a new job um, during the course of your career or working life? Most most people. I mean, 
Um, how many of you had to choose multiple new jobs? See some hands there. You know, modern society has certainly made this a bigger deal. You know, we're, we're all more mobile. We have more social mobility. You know, geographical mobility. We can move across the country. We can, you know, climb into different uh, areas of society. You know, much so than in other societies where you just did what your father did and or what your you apprenticed to someone and you did what they did until. Um, and then you pass down maybe to your son to follow, or your daughter to follow after you. Today we have, we have a lot of opportunities. You can be whatever you want to be, uh, which is a blessing and a curse. You know, if you're 18 and you, wanna, you can be whatever you want to be, well, then you have to decide, well, if I have a thousand options, what do I want to be? Uh, it's, it can be, in some ways, paralyzing to have so many options. You know, some of us may find one job and work it for our entire working life, but most of us will probably at least once, maybe multiple times, be in a position where we have to choose a new job. Maybe that's because we got laid off, you know, for whatever reason. Maybe it's because we moved to a new area, we got, you know, you got married, you you had to leave a job, you, or you just have a new opportunity. So, uh, what does the Bible have to say about this situation? One thing that's interesting to look at, even though, you know, obviously the Bible was written in a time with a very different culture, in the first century Greco-Roman world, even in the letter to Corinth, Paul, when he writes about vocations to, to his audience there in Corinth, he recognizes that our vocation, even though we recognize that as a calling from God, remember we talked about vocation as a calling to the work that we have, and yet it's not an infallible calling or, or a, you know, a permanent calling. Like our calling to salvation never changes. We're, we're called to be children of God. But our calling to you know, do the work that God has assigned to us is something that does change. You, you can see that in 1 Corinthians 7. Paul says, Only let each person lead the life the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. It's the same word actually for calling to salvation, but here he's talking about the ordinary circumstances of your life, and God has called you to do it. Skipping ahead a little bit to verse 20, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. So there you go, know, in one sense, may, should we ever change our job? Should we, you know, are we supposed to just remain where we're called? Well, uh, we go on. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called as a bondservant of Christ. You are bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called there, let him remain with God. You see both here. You see on, one, on the one hand, as a Christian, our primary identity is in Christ. Who we are in Christ. That's what his point is in, in 22, where he's saying, you know, if you're if you are called in the Lord, those who are called in the Lord are bondservants for he who is called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Your primary identity is in who you are in Christ. But uh, as you think about your socioeconomic position, your role in society, um, if you don't have an opportunity to change it, if you're, if you're in a position, you recognize that God has called you to that position. And, and you can trust and rest in that reality. But... If you have the opportunity to change it, if you're a bondservant and you have the opportunity to gain your freedom, feel free to avail yourself of the opportunity. And you can even recognize in that that's God's, God's calling in these areas of our lives can change. It's not, a, it's not a permanent reality. It can change. Any questions on that?
as we think about that, if we if our if our calling in that sense or our vocation is going to change, I want to ask you to think a little bit about this. Is your we're going to run through some questions that we might ask, some diagnostic questions uh, that would help us think about how to prioritize issues in changing our vocation, but. Gilbert, Greg Gilbert and Sebastian Traeger, one of the main ideas, the main takeaway from their book is that in these areas of vocation, we're going to be alternatively tempted towards idolatry, that is making too much of our work, trying to get too much out of our work, whether meaning or purpose, fulfillment, identity, life, looking to, to our work for our life, or alternatively, we can be tempted to be idle in our work, to think that it doesn't really matter. I could just kind of do whatever I want. Uh, God doesn't really care because the world's going to burn up anyways. So it doesn't even matter. I'll just, you know, get as much out of it, you know, work for the weekend, you know, make enough money to buy whatever toys and I want, and then it doesn't really matter. So let me just ask you all, if you think about this question of choosing a job, in what ways might we be tempted toward idolatry in choosing a job? Say it again? Perhaps we have a passion in one area and we choose to pursue that or that passion and nothing else. A passion? Yeah. Yeah. So that's a that's a good point. It's a it's a tricky thing because our desires are not necessarily bad. We don't wanna we don't want to make them the ultimate thing, but God does use our desires to guide us. We're gonna get into that in a little bit. But you're right, if that becomes the if they become ultimate, that can be an idolatry. How, what other idolatries can we be tempted in, in choosing a job? Uh, Marcus? What's that? Status. Status, yeah. And we want to unpack that a little bit more? Like, status in the eyes of whom? People. Like, right. I, mean, I, want to, I want to get this position so that I look good on Instagram or so that people think I'm respectful, you know? Right. So people will respect me. <laughs> right. And that can look different in different circles. I mean, in one sense, it can be climbing the corporate ladder to get more money to you know get that prestigious position that leadership role in that organization but it could also be a little bit there there's other garbs that idolatry can wear you know even in things like do you know doing nonprofit work you know i'm you can go the other way you can say well i'm not going to pursue a you know a lot of money in the corporate world i'm going to pursue you know work with you know the needy and the homeless, and or the in the church. I'm going to pursue ministry as a status symbol, as something you know, with so that within Christian circles, you get you know the pat on the back. Wow, he really or she really serves the Lord. She's really committed to the Lord because they're you're pursuing, you're choosing a job to gain that sort of status. Any other ways? Just the title alone of I am this. And then once you get that, you're chasing the degrees after it to kind of buff yourself up, if you will. Right. Yeah, it's something we definitely need to be aware of. Um, trying to find anytime where, is it, where our hearts are idle factories, we're going to we're going to this is going to rise up in one way or another as we think about choosing a job. What about the alternate the alternate tendency of just being idle and thinking it doesn't really matter? How could we be tempted towards idleness in choosing a job? Just doing the bare minimum. Just to, you know, you got the job, you got a good pay. Maybe you're frustrated because no matter how hard you work, the pay is not going to get any better. So you just grind along and just maintain, if you will. Yeah. Try for anything. Yeah. You can kind of 
disengage maybe at least think that it doesn't really matter I don't it doesn't I mean think that if God doesn't really care about my work anyways then I you know I don't really even have to engage this as a Christian I can just you know find any job will do which we'll see as in a sense there's a, some truth to that like we can honor God in a lot of different vocations but God does call us to be engaged in our work and seeking to honor and glorify him so that does require our our engagement our our thinking and our 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 faith so uh, as we think about that i'd like to we're going to go through six questions but first i just want to suggest a um you know a dispute that goes all the way back to the disciples is one that's relevant for this question you know this is something i've i've just noticed in my own heart and if you're anything like me maybe you've You've, it's arisen in your heart too. Um, you know, the, the disciples are in Jerusalem. It's the um, it, right before Jesus is going to the cross to die for our sins. <laughs> um, it, from John's account of this event, we know they're actually it's actually the Last Supper when Jesus humbles himself and washes his disciples' feet. He takes on this role of a servant, and meanwhile, the disciples are arguing about who is the greatest. A dispute arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as the one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at table, or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You know, in the there's a temptation to even we can even put it in in spiritual terms but to think i really want my life to be of the greatest value and i want to make myself great i want to maximize my whether it's your you know 401k your income or even in a sense we can be tempted to say i'm going to maximize my influence for God, in a way that can become selfish, a selfish ambition to think, to really be the greatest. When perhaps God is calling you, you know, as Jesus humbly washed the disciples' feet. You know, it doesn't mean that God doesn't call people to roles of authority with wide spheres of influence, but we can pursue those really out of the same heart attitude that the disciples showed here, where they just want that for themselves to be regarded as the greatest, where in the kingdom of God, those, the calculus is different. You know, greatness is, in God's economy, is pursued through, through sacrificial service of others. Um, God is pleased, not necessarily with our you know, followers on uh, social media or our paycheck, but the faith and love, humble obedience that we show in service to Him, whether that's recognized by the world or not, whether that's financially, you know, compensated and recognized by your employer or not. So um, we need to keep that in mind. That um, that's a a lot of our questions. Sometimes I know I've felt this, like trying to think about well, how can I best serve God. Well, I have to be cautious in my own heart. Is this really just a selfish desire to? To become great, or am I am I content to just humbly serve in whatever God calls me to? And that being said, there are times and places to change vocations, and I, I want to. These are here's six questions that uh, this book 
that Greg Gilbert and Sebastian Traeger suggest for us when we are in those life situations. And they put these in a purposeful order. The first three here are what they call their essentials. So, does this job glorify God? Does it permit me to live a godly life? Does it provide for my needs and allow me to be a blessing to others? Those are really non-negotiables. You, you can't answer no to those and yet still decide this is what I'm called to do. The next three are beneficial and important, but not necessarily essential. Um, does this job benefit society in some way? Does this job take advantage of my gifts and talents? And is this job something I want to do? So those three are important, but there may be times when, when we aren't able to um, get all six of these in a sense. So we're going to walk through these um, one question at a time and just look at how biblical wisdom speaks into these questions. So first, does this job glorify God? Now what do you think by that? I mean, what, what kind of jobs glorify God? And if you've been in the class for the first 10 weeks, hopefully something sticks out of everything I talked about. But um, how do you answer that question if you're you know, considering a job? Does it glorify God? Tom? Well, so I'm looking at the antithetical, and I everything glorifies God except that which doesn't. All right. So I would go with the negative. Well, this definitely doesn't glorify God. So working at the front of the blank, uh, you know, corrupt institute. Other than that, I'm good. Right. I think that there's some wisdom to that. Um, how would you? Well, if you were, you know, we we saw at the beginning of the class, we're made in God's image. And that includes, as we looked at how God's designed for work in the beginning, that includes what really becomes the foundation of human society. So everything involved in building and maintaining and governing a human society, making sure our water is clean, you know, keeping power to people, caring for people that are sick, all of these ways that we are that we maintain and build and you know help humans flourish can be pursued in a way to glorify God. As Tom said though, there's obviously some examples that are antithetical to that, that are clearly not glorifying God. So, I mean, if you see this in, example, for example, I mean, 1 Corinthians 10.31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Paul has in mind here that you really can eat your food, drink your drink, and what, or whatever you do, you can do it to the glory of God. You know, caveat being you're not violating some clear command from God. You know, Jesus' command to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Uh, that great first commandment is something that we can do in in all that we're in all that we are called to do, and also what he said in Colossians three: whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. So here, you know, he's writing that to slaves in Roman households. Whatever they do, you know, cleaning out the animal dustbin or the animal shelter, you know, going to the gro- grocery store for your master, do that for the glory of God. So what are some examples that, where you cannot glorify God? I mean, some, some are obvious. Um, you know, you can't be a drug dealer. You can't work at an abortion clinic. You can't make art or music or film that is glorifying sin and, and rebellion against God. So some areas might be clear. Other areas might be more of a question of conscience, and that's where it gets a little bit tricky. Can anyone think of some examples where, you know, it might be more of a maybe? Uh, so in a prior life, I was working for a company that uh, provided services to all different other companies. And uh, some of those other companies that we provide services to were, shall we call, fringe-ish. Uh, totally legal, but not necessarily godly uh, grounded. Right. 
Yeah. Right. Uh, at one point, uh, I was applying for certain scholarships, and some of them required that I perform some community service hours, and we threw out uh, a couple of different places that needed help. And so I went and I began volunteering with this one organization, and um, I began to realize as I was as I was working with them that they were distributing food to the needy and they were doing stuff like that, but they had a, a very like socialist worldview, um, anti-authority, anti-God kind mm -hmm. of mindset. And as I was, I, and I felt like, like you're doing a good thing because I'm helping needy people that need stuff. But on the other hand, they're promoting not going to organizations that are actually set up to be, to help and benefit people. Um, there, there are good. Um, law, lawful organizations afoot that, that, that provide these same services. Um, so I felt like I felt conflicted that maybe I wasn't doing right. the right thing helping them. Yeah, and that's the more often than not, that's going to be the reality where there's conflict. There's question, how does this glorify God? And sometimes you may not, until you get there and find out what really the ethos is of the place, why they're doing what they're doing, it might be hard to know that. But there's going to be, there's ultimately going to be questions of conscience. I mean, you can do good work, even in a sinful organization, or in an organization that is led by sinful people for man-centered reasons. I mean, the slaves in the Roman households weren't just commanded to serve their masters who were believers, they were commanded to serve their masters. So... But things like, you know, the advertising industry, that would be an area where it, there could be good ways to serve in the advertising industry, or there could be ways that are deceptive and using sex to sell products that, as a Christian, you might, you know, there might be some Christians in advertising that are, can find, that can find ways to serve that glorify God, but there's probably others that, that don't. And that's really going to be, there's going to be questions of conscience there, but... You know, if you arrive at a place where you feel like you cannot do your work in a way that's glorifying to God, then that's a, a clear sign this is not the job to be in. But otherwise, there should be some freedom in realizing that we can glorify God in a wide variety of professions that reflect our creation as image bearers of God. Alright, the second question we had here was, does this job permit me to live a godly life? Now this is one that is going to get a little more specific to who you are as a person and what kind of other responsibilities. What does it mean to like to look to live a godly life for you? You know, in other words, what other biblical commands are incumbent upon you to obey as a follower of Christ? For example, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Fathers, bring your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. If a vocation, a job is put such demands on you for travel or other um, your, your time such that you cannot love your wife or you cannot bring your children up then um, you would not be serving the Lord that doesn't mean that there might not be seasons where there's tension where you have to travel where you you're I know that's the reality in most professions. There's going to be tension here. And we're actually going to talk about that more next week, this balancing work and family and ministry and how there are times of tension. But you know, as a whole, uh, if we look at the, the big picture of this career path, will it permit me to, to love my wife and to bring my children up? And the same, you know, this direction was given to fathers, but you know, the same, it's relevant for mothers as well. Will this, can I fulfill this, my calling to, to care for my family 
um, to care for my children if I pursue this profession. Um, what other questions or you know, what, what else comes into living a godly life that would be relevant in this question about choosing a job? Time commitment, I think a lot of times in private industry, right. you have to be married to the company and come whenever they get at their beck and call, that is in conflict with your right. faith in Christ. Yep, that's where I was going next. Um, you know, there's many ways you could look at this in the New Testament, but bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. He's speaking to the church. You know, you could list out all the one another commands that assume you're in relationship with a body of believers. That, you know, it doesn't just happen in a 90 minute Sunday morning service. There's an assumption that you're in relationship with God's people, that you're not just journeying solo in the Christian life. So many jobs may conflict with that. Anything else? I mean, there's probably a lot of ways you could go with this. And it's going to vary based on, you know, your specific circumstances. I've got like an example. Yeah. So, like, being a bartender may not be a big deal. Right. If you have, like, tendencies to drink too much, then that's probably not a good job for you. Right. And that's where I was going next, actually. Um, <laughs> Romans 13, um, you know, Paul says, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ, make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So if you know you have a tendency, a temptation towards, you know, alcoholism, or if you know a job is going to put you in close proximity with members of the opposite sex for extended periods of time when you're alone, and that's just part of the job, um, that's probably not a job that, that's right to pursue. I mean, there's there's some vocations, or maybe it may not even be the vocation, it just may be that, that specific company, the way they're structured. It's going to put inject attention into your life as you seek to fulfill other clear commands from Scripture. So that should be a non-negotiable. Uh, sometimes you may not know those things you know, from an interview. It may be something that you get into a job and you work at it for a while, and then you find that this tension is growing, and that may be a, an indication that God is calling you to pursue something else. All right. How about this third question then? Does this job provide for my needs and allow me to be a blessing to others? You know, making money is not a bad thing. Uh, it gets a bad rap. You know, these greedy capitalists who want to just make money. Uh, obviously, it can't be the ultimate thing, but we do have clear biblical command to provide for our needs. What, what scriptures come to mind? Any, any come to mind? I have two. Well, if you don't do that, then you're worse than an infidel or whatever that is. If anyone does not provide for his relatives, this is Paul's instructions to Timothy in the church, especially for members of his own household. He has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So, I mean, obviously the circle of, the closer the relationship, I think the principle would be, the the more responsibility you have to provide for them. So obviously, you know, as a as a man, if you're married, your children, your responsibility is great to provide for them. And then as closer relatives beyond that, um, as you have opportunity as well. But, you know, making enough money to provide for your needs is, is important. And that's, you know, especially if you're, you know, for maybe young men thinking about career choices, you know, they may think, well, I can live off of this, but, you know, what about, can you expect your wife and your children to live off of you know, live out of the van with you uh, as well. Um, so it's important to think about our, our needs. <laughs> um, but not only to make money for our own needs, but the New Testament also commends to us, in Ephesians 4, Paul commends that we are to do honest work with our hands so that 
we also have something to share with anyone in need. So God gives us money not only to provide for our own needs, but also to, to share with those in need, whether that's through the church or, or um, others in our lives. So making money is not a bad thing, and it does need to be a factor in our consideration. I mean, even you know, before, you know, we haven't got to the question yet, but like, what do you want to do? What are your desires? I mean, that's, we're going to get there, but, um, you know, something, if you want to do something and it doesn't pay you well enough to meet your needs, if you're going to live in your mom and dad's basement for the next 10 years, then, you know, it's probably not God's, God's calling in your life. Any questions on this issue before we go to the next couple questions? All right, so those are really the three, you know, and I agree with them, but what they call the essentials. Does it glorify God? Does it allow me to live a godly life? And does it provide for my needs? So now we get into the next three that are a little bit more, uh, I mean, they're important, they're nice to have, but they're not necessarily essential. This one, this job benefits society in some way. That one can be a little bit hard to, to understand, especially, you know, maybe in an entry level position. But it really is, I mean, most... I mean, most jobs that are that glorify God, that reflect who you are as an image bearer of God, where you're doing work that reflects that, are going to benefit society in some way. And this, you might have a spectrum. You know, you might some jobs might have a more clear benefit to society; others may not. Um, and I think here, you know, we have freedom to pursue. You know, all other things being equal, if we have a, if we have an opportunity to pursue a job that has a greater benefit to others. Um, we have the freedom to pursue that. You know, Jesus said, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. And then also, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, we are called to do good to others. And considering how our, our job or vocation will benefit society is is an important part of that. Um, it's not just, you know, sometimes you may just feel, I know I felt this way in my job, where I'm, you know, it's I'm just a, a cog in the wheel, you know, making money. It's sometimes in our, you know, specialized society, your vocation may not feel, or the, the benefit to others may not be direct. I may not see the people that are benefiting from my work. But if you think about it for a second, like if I and everyone who did my job just disappeared off the face of the earth, what would happen to human society? Uh, that can be a way to a thought experiment to help you realize that your job does likely benefit society in some way. Yeah, Ray? You know, you say, I mean, uh, the thief no longer stealing benefits society. You know, <laughs> you stop stealing the work with your hands. Right. That direct benefit. And taking, instead of stealing, now you're you're helping others, so you're you're reversing the equation. Um, we, we discussed that earlier in the um, Tim Keller stuff about uh, thinking about where your bread came from, you know, and like all the hands that prepared it all the way back to the, to the guy that tilled the dirt. Right. You know, um, there's pieces along the way, the truck driver driving, all that stuff. Right. All in one way, shape, or form benefits society. Right. Um, the, the next question was, does this job take advantage of my gifts and talents? Now, this one is, I put on, it's under the nice to have. I know it, it, you might, you know, what are this, what's the saying? Um, you know, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. I mean, um, you know, the ideal of finding some job that perfectly aligns with who you are and, you know, uh, where you're just, your gifts are really just being utilized and you can just, you know, it just becomes easy, and I mean, there are, there is something to be said for that. There's some truth that's captured there that God did make us different, with different abilities, different gifting, different talents, and the more we can align our 
our vocation with those gifting and talents, you know, it's likely that we'll, we'll be more successful. Um, but it's not always... Um, it's not always guaranteed to us. Um, you see both. I want to show you some, con- some contrasting examples. On one hand, you have these gentlemen, Bezalel and Aholiab, um, who were called to work on the tabernacle. You know, and we were told about them that the Lord had put skill and intelligence in them to know how to do the work and the construction of the sanctuary. You know, so there's an example of you know, certain men that were likely, likely worked and trained and d- pursued opportunities to gain skill and had worked for years and had this skill and then God called them to use that skill to build the tabernacle. Um, what about, can anyone think of another example of someone who, in the Bible, who was on the other end of the spectrum, who was called to serve in a way that expressly did not align with his skills, or at least his perception of his skills? Moses. Moses. Someone else? Jonah. Jonah. Yep, there's two examples. Um, Moses is the one I was thinking of. Jonah, you could say the same for Jonah. Um, but, you know, Moses, God calls Moses to go and speak to Pharaoh, and he says, What? I'm not eloquent. I don't know how to speak. You know, he, God's calling him to a position that requires public speaking with the, you know, the Pharaoh, the king of the land. And he says, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you've spoken, but I'm slow of speech and of tongue. You know, he didn't feel gifted to do that work. And yet God called him to that work. So, you know, the, we see sometimes where God will call us to serve with our gifts and abilities, and other times where he may make it clear that he wants you to serve in a way that actually does not align with those gifts and talents. It may not be, you know, it may not be permanent. You may, he may be using that to, to grow you and prepare you for something else. Um, or maybe he's going to develop your gifts and talents in ways that you didn't expect. But it is, this is a question that is worth considering. It, just, it, cannot, it shouldn't be our, our first question, our ultimate question. Yeah, right. Um, I'm thinking about an uh, interview I listened to with uh, Mike Rowe, the guy who uh, did the uh, Dirty Jobs mm-hmm. show. And um, he, he used the example of a fellow who, um, who he wanted to be successful, he didn't know what it was, so he looked around to see what nobody else wanted to do, and he decided on um, on sewage and uh, waste to, you know, transport. And, um, and he developed a passion for it. Mm-hmm. Passionate about sewage and taking right. care of that problem, uh, septic tanks, and all that sort of stuff. Right. And he became very, very successful developing a passion around something that nobody else wanted to do. Right. Yeah, our gifting and talents can can change over time. The last question they suggest offering, which is or asking, um, is usually the one that we start with. But is this job something I want to do? We don't need to go to the other end of the spectrum that says, well. You know, I'm just going to pursue something that's the most difficult, you know, the least pain, the least pleasure, pleasurable option for myself as a way to please God. Or, you know, God makes us, our desires are, are, are not, I mean, they can be sinful. We do need to be cautious about that, that we could have desires that are really for selfish ambition or our own, to meet our own needs in a way that's, that's um, idolatrous. But, as we're growing in Christ, um, as, as believers, we need to realize that God, God uses our desires to, to direct us, to shape our, our lives and to help us to, to weed through the various options that we have. So that's what you see, I think, even in you know, Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. And, and even just some of the wisdom from the Proverbs, you know, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. That 
you know, God, God, God will use those things that you commit to Him, and you then you make your plans and you pursue the things that you desire, and He will oftentimes use those <laughs> desires to help you sort out your calling. When there's tension here, though, between those first questions, between what you want to do and what will provide for your family, or what you want to do and what will glorify God, or um, you know what will you want to do and that will allow you to fulfill your other what else God calls you to do in the church and in your family and to live a godly life. This needs to be subservient, which means that God may call you to do something that you don't want to do. And you may have to do that for a season, maybe for your career. Um, and God can teach you contentment in that. I mean, I, I can just speak from experience. That's something that's been a prayer of mine for, for many years, actually, that I'm not doing the work that I thought I would do when I was, you know, you know, 18 and thinking, oh, I'll dream about all, you know, all that the world can be. Be what you want to be. I'm not doing that work right now. And God, I, my prayer for many years has been, you know, God, teach me contentment in you as I get to serve you in this vocation. And, and that's something that I, I can test, testify to, that God really can grow in us as we submit that to Him. So those are the six questions. Um, I have a few more slides here, and then I'm going to have Paul Miranda come up, and we're going to talk with him. Any comments or questions on those uh, what well, we said so far, yes, Steve? I think the first line there is whatever you do will probably ask for more, not for men, is probably one of the most important. Um, I worked for years in a job I didn't want to do. I did it for the Lord, He's provided my family. Yeah. Um, I worked with people for 25 years. And a lot of times, men, more than women, are, are like dreamers. And they're doing things that they're living in their hands, right. not providing for their families. Sometimes you just have to suck it up. Right. And, and know that you're supposed to do something that maybe you don't want to do, maybe it's not the dream. Right. But it's a, it's, it's getting worse. For people yeah. That's just not working. Right. Yeah, you see that in the, the lack of skilled labor these days in like in construction industries. And people don't want to go work hard, so there's no one to build their houses. <laughs> or just work. Yeah. yeah. Anything. Yeah. Um, one interesting or you know way to think about this, and you think about vocation. We've talked about the Christian idea of vocation. A vocation is really the Latin word that means calling. A calling is something that comes from outside yourself. This is a quote from the other book I didn't bring, but book God at Work, where it says vocation comes from the outside, having to do with opportunities and circumstances, doors opening and slamming in our face. Since God works through means, he often extends his call through other people by means of their vocations. Though we must indeed work, plan, and scheme, ultimately for whatever we have, whatever position we occupy, we remain utterly dependent upon God. He gives the example of someone who you know, thinks that they want to be a policeman. And he says, you know, you wanting to be a policeman does not mean you are a policeman. You cannot go arrest someone because you want to be a policeman. And also, you wanting to be a policeman does not mean that they have to let you into the academy. You know, just because you want to do something does not mean you have the authority, the the vocation, the calling that really must come from outside yourself. Now, in one sense, as he points out here, um, it comes from God. As Christians, we know that God is the one who's going to open the doors, close the doors, give us the opportunities, shape our desires, help us, guide us through all these means into where he wants us to be. But in another sense, it comes through other people, through that person that you know who offers you a job, or through that person who suggests this, you know, this class to you that then you end up 
you, you submit, you enjoy the material and you find something you love to do. You know, God works through all of these things. And so I, I just wanted to point this out to just suggest that this can be really freeing in that, you know, we don't have to worry about if we're going to mess up God's plan. Like there's one true vocation and if I need to really pray enough or fast enough or do enough to please God so that he'll reveal his will to me. You know, God is going to work through the ordinary means around you to direct you. And if if you think it's to do this and the doors close and you try and it doesn't work, it's God's way of directing you to pursue something else. So it can, in essence, though, be freeing and that you don't have to worry about finding that perfect thing. Like, like God is just sitting up there watching you, hoping that you'll pick the right option. The other thing I wanted to say before we call Paul up, and this is what this goes back, it's a proverb that goes back to what Steve was saying. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. There can be a temptation to just, you know, live for that future, that worthless pursuit, whatever it is, that dream that you have that, that is, you know, guiding all of your steps, which really is not practical. When you have land right in front of you that needs to be worked, whatever that might be, you know, that's an agricultural imagery, you know, you need to fill it out with whatever modern day uh, example is relevant in your life circumstance. If God, the opportunities in front of you to work your land is what God may be calling you to do. And maybe it may mean that you need to take steps to prepare, you know, go to, go to school, gain, gain training, you know, apprentice, whatever that might be. But God doesn't call us just to fritter away our, our lives dreaming about the future. You know, the response, we, he uses the land to work that, to work that's right in front of us to, to shape us and, and direct our steps. So Gilbert and Traeger write this, that they, they talk about these three things. You know, as you're thinking through all these options. If you feel like there's multiple options, discerning God's will really comes down to what you want to do, multiplied by what you're gifted to do, multiplied by what opportunities are available to you right now. Obviously all under that big umbrella of glorifying God, living a godly life, and providing for your family. So some points of application when we consider our perspective on choosing a job, we can be free from the desire to find a dream job. You know, it may come from idolatry to find that one one dream job. But we can also remember to prioritize faithfulness to God over personal ambition and professional advancement. We should be willing to humbly seek out and receive input from others regarding areas of gifting for us. We may not be the best discerners of where we are gifted. Sometimes that'll come naturally as you think you're gifted in something and then you fail or you don't get that opportunity. But there's also a time and place in the community of uh, your family and, and people who know you to seek out that input. And then having considered what is pleasing to God and how we can serve others, we can be free to pursue those vocations that align with our giftings and desires. You know, in the nitty-gritty of making those decisions, it's often, it can feel overwhelming. Um, It can feel like, you know, you just want God to tell you what to do. But, you know, we can trust that he's actually working through the opportunities that we have, the gifting that we have, and our desires to direct our steps. All right. Paul, you want to come on up? Sure. Sit in the hot seat here. Yep. Paul gets to join us in the hot seat. So we're going to uh, continue our our, um, practice of just hearing from from a member of our church who can share with him with us about their experience in vocation. So, Paul, you want to start just by introducing us and then tell us what kind of work do you do? Yeah, so my name is Paul Miranda, and um, I have um, been part of Cow Creek for about uh, 14 years now. 
And uh, as far as the, the type of work that I do, um, thankfully, Ben gave me these questions beforehand, so I got some notes here, so I don't just sit and go out and out. So, um, I've worked in the, uh, in the electrical utility and construction industry for 40 years now, which, man, I'm really getting old, I guess, <laughs> saying that coming out of my mouth. Um, I started in the military, then I was in the private sector, and like I said, for the past 14 years, what brought us to this to this church was a job that I took working for the federal government, and um, and that's for the Bureau of Reclamation. So I worked for the Bureau of Reclamation, and then just so you guys know what that is locally, that includes six hydroelectric power plants in the area, and the one that you're most familiar with is the Shasta Dam. So there's many others in the area that we maintain, take care of. So. Hmm. And what's your role in taking care of the dam and I mean other plants? Well, well I, um, I've been a tradesperson my whole career yeah. and also working as a supervisor. During my time there at this agency, I worked um, as an electrician, as a tradesman electrician. And then I've also, um, in the last 10 years, I've worked as a supervisor there at the dam, supervising electricians and communication technicians, instrument technicians. So hmm. I'm currently a supervisor right now. Yeah. So how does your work reflect God's good design from creation? So I'm sure the agency that I work for is not aware of this. <laughs> but um, I, think, I think overall there are echoes of God's um, good design that can be seen in the Bureau of Reclamation's mission statement. So let me just read that to you. It's one along the lines of benefiting society, right? Mm-hmm. So this is the actual mission statement. It says, the, the mission of the Bureau of Reclamation is to, uh, to manage, develop, and protect water and related resources in an environmentally and economically sound manner in the interest of the American people. So basically to manage, develop, and protect water and related resources, it's pretty clear cut to be able to see how it benefits and how it's related to God's, God's original design. So it's in, in maintaining, or to, I should say manage, develop, and protect water and related resources is, is, is maintaining order, right? Maintaining order and using uh, creation to benefit uh, man's needs. And in my opinion, this reflects um, mankind's original mandate uh, that we can see in Genesis 1. Yeah. To, to, be fruitful, to be fruitful and multiply and fill and subdue the earth and have dominion over the fish and over the sea, etc. So is generating power the main way that you do that, or is it was one of many ways? Water is uh, the primary yeah. um, goal as far as... And then um, power is, is secondary. Hmm. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. It does seem like, in a sense, you're subduing the the fish and the birds and the you know yeah, the, the so water the reservoir. Of environmental uh, yeah. concerns when we say, hey, we want to raise the dam 18 feet. <laughs> we have no problem with that, right? And then wait, everyone says, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, what about you know the environment? So it has to be done, and they. Like it says, responsible and economic fashion. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and how do you see the fall impacting work in your field? So, uh, well, the curse, right? The curse. Yeah. Um, 
the earth is literally cursed. So, and the earth is groaning, right? The earth is groaning, and we actually all had a very vivid experience a few weeks ago uh, during that earth, that very powerful earthquake. Now, um, earthquakes can cause, obviously, can cause very serious and catastrophic damage, right, to the dams. So, thankfully, that didn't happen. It definitely. I don't know if you guys all got that phone alert yeah. um, middle of the night and all the phones started to vibrate and then right after that we felt the mm-hmm. vibration go through the house and everything rattle. But that's like a, you know, it's a big deal for reclamation. Um, hmm. They get everybody in to inspect the dams and make sure nothing is, you know, slid in any particular direction. And so there's a protocol for all that. But, but thankfully, because of God's common grace, that dam's been standing there, Shasta Dam, particularly for about 85 years, and it's still still intact. However, uh, most of our physical assets are slowly deteriorating, right? So that that hmm. that requires constant inspections and maintenance um, in order to ensure that they are functioning properly. So that's on a physical aspect, how, how the curse has affected the career that I'm that I'm in. Next, and we can all kind of relate with this, is interpersonal relationships, right? We all have to deal with people and there'll be conflict, right? There will there'll always be conflict when people have to work together. So you know we have to you know this is always this is always manifested in you know selfishness, pride, laziness. Mm-hmm. And all these things have to be addressed and dealt with on, right. on a constant basis. So those are a couple of the aspects that I was thinking about. That yeah. What about um, you think about like thorns and thistles that grow where, like where you know Adam, you you seek to you want some productive result to follow, and then you know something else ha- happens instead. Yeah. I'm wondering like you know in the years when you were an electrician out in the as a tradesman yeah um, did you see that reality um, oh yeah just I mean every day just trying to you know work the land trying to put in electrical installations you know that doesn't cooperate with you, you know, <laughs> cave-ins and big rocks in your way and you know all right. of that um, and then just the deterioration of things you know on a maintenance perspective Things are working, and water gets in where it's not supposed to be. Things blow up, you know. Power goes out, and then right. you know, in the middle of the night, trying to get things back in, in order. So it's just things deteriorating. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how does the how does the gospel reshape your perspective on work in your field? So um, this question, I was just thinking through, and I thought about how the gospel reshapes my perspective at my work. Uh, can be mainly seen. And the last effect of the fall that I just was describing, and that's interpersonal relationships. In those situations, I constantly pray for wisdom, mm-hmm. how I can apply verses like Ephesians 6, right? Uh, let me just read it to you. Uh, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, uh, not by the way of eye service as men pleasers but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will see back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. And then, and as far as for masters or 
employers, bosses, says do the same. Stop, stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both you, uh, their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. And that's of course Ephesians 6, 5 through 9. So, by God's grace, you know, I, I attempt to uh, be able to do these things, both as, as an employee and as an employer or a supervisor. But, you know, to be, to be honest with you, I don't always do that, right? I fail. So, mm-hmm. But though in those failures, though, those are wonderful opportunities to be able to go back. Right. And I've done this, you know, by God's grace. He doesn't allow me to go my own way and just kind of wreak havoc in my workplace. And I'll have to go back and talk to a supervisor and uh, ask for forgiveness, or say I'm sorry that was that that was not appropriate, you know, or talk to my employees and how I was, you know, maybe I was threatening them in a way that they felt threatened or whatever, you know, the way I was discussing things with them. So I'll go back and talk to them and ask for forgiveness, and and that's not normal, right? I mean, people look at you and they'll say. Well, why are you even doing this? You know, and what's your what's your what's your trip? You know, uh, so to to go low like that is not natural right. in the workplace. So that's how the gospel has reshaped my workplace. I think in my interaction with people, right, is those kind of opportunities where I'll go, you know, because the Spirit is convicting me during those times, and I'll pray for for boldness, you know, to share mm-hmm. the gospel. Um, as we work through it, and I'm like, well, wow, this is really, you know, big of you, Paul, to do this. You know, no, it's not big of me. I got the thumb of God on my, you know, thankfully, on my heart. And he doesn't let me just, you know, yeah. destroy everything in my soul. Do you feel like, I mean, do you feel, is, it, is your work environment one where you feel comfortable talking about your faith or that you can to steer conversations in that direction? I, I can, I mean, not like it's an everyday thing. You're working for mm-hmm. the federal government. I have to always phrase it by, well, this is what, how I see it, and this is my opinion, and I can't, you know, dictate. To, this is what you need to do, you know. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, there is, especially in those kind of transparent times where you just blew it, you know, or, right. or someone blew it, you know, someone sinned against you or violated, you know, what they're supposed to um, follow through on and and you having a frank talk with somebody yeah I mean I I like to preface it you know or at least conclude it by saying hey you know God, by God's grace I'm able to open my mouth and say this is you know the reason why I had to come to you and talk to you about this is because you know I was wrong and I feel that I need to you know, get right with you and the bigger picture is because God has changed me. You know, yeah. I've said, well, God gave me a heart transplant years ago, one time to one guy, and I was like, heart transplant? Wow. <laughs> you're, a, you're a transplant survivor? It was spiritually. You know? And I'm like, oh, wow. So that opened up a whole avenue, and it kind of just and, you know, pulled him in and kind of intrigued yeah. him to find out what this spiritual heart transplant was all hmm. about. So, hmm. yeah. yeah, that's great. Any other questions for, for Paul? Or anything else you want to share, Paul? No, uh, that was it. Yeah. All right. Well, that's that's great. Thank you, Paul. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna close this in prayer, and 
we'll just lay these things before the Lord. Our Father in Heaven, I just I thank You for Your Word and how it gives us light um, to uh, as to what it means to follow You in this world. And um, I pray that You would help us to take these things to heart as we find ourselves in positions of choosing jobs. I, I pray that You would help us to prioritize what Your Word is clear about, about glorifying You and, and serving You faithfully and providing for our needs. And I pray for any, even here this morning, who are in this situation and, and perhaps feel paralyzed or or just um, overwhelmed by the, the opportunities or, or questions about the future or lack of opportunities. And I pray that uh, You would give them peace and comfort and, and courage to, to pursue opportunities that You provide and also faith to trust that You will guide their steps. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.